we've been in a series in the book of Galatians, and Paul's argument so far has been about the gospel, and he's been talking about freedom really the whole time. And so uh, he's been arguing that in Jesus Christ, we are God's free sons and daughters. And the Bible really talks about freedom all the way through. The Bible is dripping with the language of freedom. Uh, Jesus talked about it. It was, you know, the famous uh, verse in the book of John, the, the truth will set you free. And then Paul here in Galatians is talking about the freedom that God gives us in the gospel. And Paul loves this idea of freedom. In fact, one of the most popular biographies of, the, of Paul, it's called Paul, the apostle of the heart set free. Paul loves freedom. And in fact, in some ways, Galatians is Paul's declaration of independence. He talks about how we as Christians are free. What are we free from? Well, Paul says we're free from the law, the works of the law. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is that we as Christians are not justified by God, by keeping rules, we are not made right with God, or we don't enter into God's presence by achieving it through obedience. God's righteousness is a free gift to us. You are not saved by what you do, but by what Jesus Christ did for you. And so salvation is a free gift. Righteousness, acceptance is a free gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. Your obedience is not an ingredient in your righteousness before God. And so that's what Paul has been arguing here. And in chapter uh, 5 here, Paul, Paul sort of uh, anticipates an objection. And the, and the objection goes something like this. If salvation is free, if my, sal- if my righteousness and my acceptance before God doesn't depend on what I do, but what Jesus did, then why should I do anything? If salvation is not dependent on my obedience, why should I obey? Right, if I'm already in, if I'm already accepted, I mean, why should I do anything as a Christian? Why don't I just live the way I want to? And I was thinking of this illustration. It's almost like for many of you who apply to get into a college. You know, you apply in the fall, and you get accepted into winter, but then after you're accepted into the school of your choice, suddenly the grades begin to go down in the spring, right? Right, it's because, you know, you're, you're working so hard, your you're three years of college, you're, or your four years of high school, or... Is that how many years is it? I can't remember. I'm so old. But you're working so hard and everything counts, but then you're finally in. You're finally accepted. Why work anymore? I mean, it doesn't even count. And so that's the question here. If you're already in with God, if you've already been accepted by God, then why obey? What's the point of working hard to to be a good person and to obey what God wants you to, to do? And it's dangerous, this idea of freedom, isn't it? Because people can abuse it. And you combine that with our culture's notion of freedom, which is what? Which is, freedom is the freedom of all constraints. It's, the, it's, the, it's lifting off the limits and the pressures. It's freedom to do whatever you want, whatever you choose. Many of you who are parents have seen uh, the movie Frozen. And in the movie Frozen, you remember Elsa, want, what does she want to do? She wants to let it go. And I apologize, many of you parents have spent years trying to get that song out of your head. But have you ever stopped to listen to the lyrics of that song? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. And how terrifying is that to hear your little son singing that under his breath? (laughs) No right, no wrong, no rules for me. It sounds like a threat, doesn't it? 
So Paul says you're free. You're already in. You're already acceptance. And the question is, well, doesn't this, I mean, does this mean I can do whatever I want and still be in? Can I live however I want and still uh, be righteous before God? There was a young girl when I was in uh, high school ministry. I did do high school ministry for a short time, and I was a bad youth pastor. Um, but anyway, this girl, she, um, which is another story, which uh, this girl, she, I remember there was, she sat down with us, and she wanted to throw off all the constraints of Christianity. She wanted to throw off all the rules, and she said, I'm not coming to church with my parents. I'm not doing this anymore. I will do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. I'm free, she said. And is, is that what Paul's talking about here? Is Paul saying you are free to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want? If you're already in with God, then what is the point of obeying God? And so this is the objection that Paul's raising here. Do you guys see it? Uh, Paul's going to begin to work with this idea in, in Galatians chapter 5. And what he says here is he says, look, you are free. Your freedom in Jesus is real. Acceptance by God does not depend on your obedience. And yet you need to understand what you are freed for. Okay, he says don't abuse your freedom. You are freed for something. And so that's what Paul begins to argue here. Now, now Paul here, notice he begins to argue on a different front. Uh, he's, been, he's been defending freedom on one front against legalism. He's defending freedom against the works of the law and achievement, salvation. And now he begins to defend freedom on another front, the front of license. You see, freedom has two dangers. There are two things that, that threaten your freedom. Legalism on one hand, license on the other. And Paul stops arguing about legalism, and now he turns to this issue of license. Can you live however you want? Can you abuse your freedom? Paul says, no, that's not what you were freed for. And he's going to say that here in, in verses 13 through 15. And so this morning, um, I want to look at Paul's argument. I want to break it into three different parts. Uh, number one, he says, uh, he talks about the abuse of freedom. Don't use your freedom this way. And then he talks about the use of freedom. This is what you're freed for. And then finally, he talks, he gives us a warning. He's just going to give us a warning. So the abuse of freedom, the use of freedom, or the, the uh, use of freedom, and a warning. Three things. And so let's look first at the abuse of our freedom. Verse 13. Paul says, don't abuse your freedom. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You are called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul says, look, it's possible to abuse your freedom. He says, don't use your, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't view your freedom as a green light to do whatever you want. He's warning us against uh, using our freedom wrongly as an opportunity to do wrong things and to live according to uh, ways that are not right uh, in in God's sight. And it's important to see that this is actually a very real danger for Christians, right? It's not just bad people that abuse freedom. All of us have the tendency to abuse the freedom that we've got. This is why the New Testament all the way through is warning people against this sort of thing. And so, uh, for example, uh, Paul turns to the the, uh, Corinthians. And the Corinthians were a church. They were saved. They were Christians. But they were almost, they were boasting about their uh, sexual morality and their conflicts in the church. They were boasting about their sin. 
right? They were using their freedom as an opportunity to just do all sorts of things that were wrong. Uh, Paul, in another place, he's, he's talking to the Ephesians, and he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to walk in darkness. And so this is a very real danger. There's a part of you and me that leaps at the opportunity to abuse our freedom. If left alone, left to your own devices, there's something about us that will run off and abuse our freedom. When I was younger, I used to eat cookie dough, that, uh, the Pillsbury cookie dough, you know, that comes in that little cylinder tube. And um, I used to eat that stuff raw. And my mom would be cooking uh, the, the cookies, you know, and I would be sitting there. She'd give me little, just little tiny bits of it, you know, so I could, I could enjoy it. Uh, but just a little bit. And then I grew up, and I, I graduated high school, went off to college, And I remember perusing through the grocery store one day, and I saw one of those cylinder tubes, and I thought, I'm going to buy that and eat as much as I want. So I took it home, sat on the couch, proceeded to eat a whole tube of raw cookie dough. Listen, your body was not meant to ingest (laughs) a whole tube of raw cookie dough. And when you do that, that is not an expression of your freedom. That is, it's vomiting, (laughs) It's a stomachache, and there's something in us that when we get our freedom, uh, we, use it, we, we, we use it for the wrong reasons. We abuse it. We do things that are bad for us. And Paul's warning us. He's saying, look, you are free as a Christian. You are not saved by telling the truth. You are not saved by your church attendance. You are not saved by abstaining from all sorts of sexual morality. But don't use that freedom as an opportunity to lie or to ditch out on church or to engage in illicit sex. And there's something in all of us that when we get that freedom, we're gonna go the wrong direction with us. And Paul's warning us. He says, yes, you are free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity, he says, for the flesh. Now, Paul uses this word flesh here. It's a very important little phrase, or word, flesh. Paul uses it all the way through his writings. And so if you, need, if you wanna understand Paul, you've got to understand this word flesh. What is flesh? Well, it's Greek, it's the word sarx, and it's not referring to the meat on your bones. It's not referring to your flesh and bud, bl- uh, bl- uh, bone body. Your flesh is that part of you that wants to do what God doesn't want you to do. It's the part of you that wants to go your own way. It's the corrupt nature in all its weakness and depravity. It's the part of me that is inclined to sin. And so this is what the Bible knows about you. There's a part of you that is inclined to sin. You, we, we've got a sinful inclination inside of us. We are not all just basically good. There's something sinister inside of us as well. And what Paul says is now that you're a Christian, yes, that, that old sin, sinful nature has been disarmed, that old sinful nature has been uh, uh, you know, broken, and yet it's still there. Those inclinations are still there. And don't use your freedom to give in to that sinful nature, that flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he says. And the word opportunity there is a military word. It has to do with ambush. And so here's what's going on inside of you. You've got this sinful nature. You've got these inclinations, and they're waiting to ambush you. You remember in the Old Testament, there's that story of Cain and Abel. And Cain is angry at his brother Abel, and he's jealous, and he's eaten up inside. And then God comes to Cain, and he says what? He says, 
Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to leap on you. And that's your flesh. Your flesh is a crouching tiger. It's a hidden dragon. Your flesh is just waiting for the opportunity to leap out and lead you in the wrong direction. And Paul says, don't use your freedom to indulge. Don't give any opportunity for the flesh, he says. It's waiting there. It wants to get you. It's always inside of you. And he says, don't use your freedom as, a, as, a operation, uh, as an opportunity to let this flesh have its way. There's a story of this man who was on a diet. And uh, he was on a diet because he was fat. <laughs> and he was fat because he had had too many donuts. Uh, and I'm not talking about any person in this room here. This is fictional. And, uh, but anyway, he was on this diet. He told his coworkers, I'm not going to eat any more donuts. Well, a week later, he comes into this, to his office with a 24-pack of donuts. And they said, what in the world? Why, why did you buy those? And he says, these came from God. They said, what do you mean? He says, well, I was on my way to work, and I was praying that, you know, if God wants me to eat donuts, uh, there'll be a spot right in front of the donut shop. And if it's right there, then, then I will stop there, and, and it'll be God's will that I eat these donuts. And he says, it was amazing. After the eighth time around the block, <laughs> that spot finally opened up. But see, that was his flesh that wasn't God. And your flesh is always looking for the opportunity. Your flesh is always sort of on the lookout for, for a window. And Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Because like I said, your flesh has been disarmed, but it's still there. Your heart is still a cauldron of disordered loves, of disordered wants, is what Augustine said. Your heart, uh, Martin Luther said, your heart is like, it's, it's, it's curved in on itself. It's selfish. There's still that part of you in there. And don't use your freedom as an opportunity for that. God hasn't saved you to be selfish. He hasn't saved you to indulge in your flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to give in. Because when you do that, what happens is you actually lose the freedom that God gave you. Uh, the, this, this flesh that you have, when you give in to it, it will enslave you. Uh, your flesh entraps you. The way Jesus put it is, he says, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. Because your flesh is not the real you. It's in there, but it's not the real you. God created you to, to, to love him and to serve him and to obey him. This is the real you. And your flesh, it, it goes against the real you. And it entraps the real you. And so when you give into this flesh, you are actually living into a life of more bondage. It's taking a, you, you out of the, the life you were meant to live and, and keeping you uh, trapped in the life that you were never meant for. You see, here's the bottom line. Real freedom is not the absent, absence of all limits. Real freedom is the presence of the right limits. And so, for example, a fish has a natural habitat. A fish was meant to live in the water. And when you take the fish out of the confines of the water, you, actually, you, don't, you don't free it, you actually enslave the fish because the fish was meant within, to live within the limits of the water. And you were meant to live within limits. 
You were meant to, to live a certain kind of life. Your flesh works against that. Your, fl- your, your flesh pulls you out of that. And so Paul says, don't use your freedom to give in to the flesh because when you do, you are going to go right back into slavery. Tim Keller puts it this way. Real freedom is not doing what we want to do. Real freedom is knowing which of the things we most want to do is siding with what we were designed for. Real freedom is finding the right restrictions. The right restrictions. Like the fish in the water. And so here's the question. Are you using your freedom to live a life that you were never meant to live? Are you making choices? Are you giving your flesh an opportunity? Are you viewing your freedom as an excuse for the flesh? And Paul says, when you do that, you're actually losing your freedom. Don't abuse it. And so Paul says, this is what I don't want you to do. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, what, it, what limits were we made for then? Okay, so I, I, we're, we're made for the right limits. limits. Like, what, what are the limits that lead to my freedom? Okay, I'm, I don't want to follow my flesh, but what should I do instead? Well, this is what Paul says. He says, this is the proper use of your freedom in verse 14. He says, do not use your freedom for, as an, uh, verse 13, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. So what is the proper use of my freedom? What do I do now that I've been set free by God? What do I need to live in live into what is my freedom for paul says your freedom is for love what are the limits that lead to freedom love is the limit that leads to freedom he says don't use your your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh your selfishness that nature that you've got but instead through love serve one another i want you to see here isn't this paradoxical you know you think about it you know isn't this a paradox Paul says, he, he puts two things together that the world never puts together. Freedom and service. He says, you want to be free? Serve. You want to be free? Put yourself into the limits of love. I'm going to read you another uh, long quote. This is a long quote alert. Uh, this is from John Stott. But anything by John Stott is just gold, okay? So uh, read this. It's really, really good. He says, true love places constraints on the lover. For love is essentially self-giving. And this brings us to a startling Christian paradox. True freedom is freedom to be my true self, as God made me and meant me to be. And God made me for loving. But loving is giving, self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give, my, give of myself. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to my own self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. We'll just stop there. Notice what he's saying here. There's a paradox to freedom. He says you want to really be free. You want to use your freedom correctly. You want to live the life that you were freed for. He says, here it is. It's a life of self-giving love. It's to put yourself within the limits of serving other people. And every choice you make to serve, every choice you make in the way of love is leading you into the direction of freedom. 
And every choice you make for the flesh is what I was just saying. Every choice you make for self, to love myself and serve myself and care only about myself, you are living, you're moving in the direction of slavery. And so Paul says, you want to live the life that God has saved you for? What is this freedom uh, directed towards? It's for service. And so, for example, uh, I think about my own life. I have choices that I make every day. And uh, when I'm at home on my day off, which is Friday, sometimes I've got this temptation, my flesh is kind of tempting me to uh, spend a lot of time on my phone. And I've told you about this. And so I'm on my phone, and I'm checking email for the umpteenth time, and I'm looking at Facebook, and I'm reading that blog, and I'm doing whatever, and I'm just sitting there engrossed in my phone. And then my kids come up, and they say, Daddy, Daddy, will you play Tickle Monster with us? Now, Tickle Monster involves running and, uh, you know, sometimes tripping over things in the house, and, you know, it's Tickle Monster, right? And I've got a choice to make. What I want to do is I want to sit on my phone disengage from the family, kind of turn into my own little world. That feels like life. It feels like freedom. And Tickle Monster, frankly, feels a little bit like constraint. But I make the decision to play Tickle Monster. And I run around the house, and of course it's hard, and it's it's difficult, but what's going on? I start to feel a little bit more free. I start to feel like, you know, this is the life that I was made to live. This is, what, this is why I'm here, to love my family, to love my kids. And so, you know, that little choice away from self and towards other people leads me into the direction of freedom. Or you put it, maybe here's another example. You know, maybe you've got a grudge. Someone's done something cruel to you, and you want to hold on to that grudge. And you want to nurse that grudge, and it feels it just, you know, in some ways it feels so right to do that. And to forgive feels like a death. But you live into that forgiveness, and what you will find is there is freedom there. There's freedom there. And so there are little choices that we make every day. And Paul says, I want you to live in such a way that you are becoming more and more free. How does that come? It comes by, in love, serving one another. Another quote, this is C.S. Lewis. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, To love is to be vulnerable. And C.S. Lewis is saying something very similar. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to deny self. And to move in that direction so often is hard. You'd rather cocoon yourself in, in a safe little coffin, he says. But in that coffin, you will lose your freedom. And taking the risk to love, you will find true liberty. Because you, like I said, you were meant to love. Why? Because God loves. You know, who is God? God is the one who Karl Barth says loves in freedom. God loves freely. God had all the freedom of the world, uh, in the world, and what did he do with his freedom? God sent his only son into the world 
to serve humanity and eventually to sacrifice himself on the cross. And in doing that, God was not only saving us, he was demonstrating for us the way to live as human beings. The way you live is by laying down your life. If you lose your life, you will find your life. This is what Jesus said. And so Paul says, this is how you use your freedom. You, you use your freedom by constraining yourself to serve other people. You deny self, you deny the flesh, and instead you, you put yourself in the direction of love and service. And this is what you were made for. And notice Paul goes on here and he says this in verse 15, or verse 14, for the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, sometimes you read Paul and you think, Paul is against the law. He doesn't like rules and regulations. That's not necessarily accurate. Paul is against justifying yourself by rules and regulations, seeking to earn righteousness with God by rules and regulations. But he's not against the law per se. Paul knows that the law is the limits that lead to freedom. Paul knows that that the whole law is summed up in one word, which is love. And love is what you were meant for. And so Paul says, this is how I want you to use your freedom. Don't use it for the flesh. Instead, use it for service. Those are the two things. But finally, Paul's going to give us a warning. Okay, we're going to move on, and this is the final point. Paul says, here's the warning, though, in verse 15. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, but if if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, if you sin, if you give into the flesh, you're not going to lose your salvation. You don't earn it, you're not going to lose it. But he says, if you live according to the flesh, although you're, not, you're, you're already in, that's not at stake anymore, but if you live according to the flesh, it, there are still consequences. He says, if you live a life of selfishness, he says, be careful if you, divide, if you bite and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And the picture there, this warning, is so graphic. It's almost like two wild animals fighting. And they're biting and they're scratching. And he says, be careful, because the longer you do that, the longer that goes on, the two animals are going to consume one another. And he says, okay, so let's say you make the choice. You're going to stay on your phone You're going to nurse that bitterness. You're going to engage in sexual immorality. He says, you keep on doing that, that, and you will end up destroying yourself and others. Your flesh is its own punishment. If you choose again and again and again, self over others, self over others, Paul says, be careful. That sort of spiral is going to end up consuming you and your family and and your community. He says, be careful if you bite and devour one another because you will be consumed by one another. I had an old pastor one time who said, uh, God says no to sin. And God says no to sin not because your sin is going to, uh, you know, he says you're forgiven as a Christian. You're, if you sin, God's going to forgive you. But God says no to sin because sin is so bad. 
And he gave this illustration. He said um, he lived on a farm in Oregon. And he said, there was one day I was sitting in my house, and I looked out, and there was my little son out on the field, and he, he owned cows and horses, and he said, my son was out there in the field taking his hand and sticking it in cow patties. Stuck it in one, went over, stuck it in another, and he was just going around the, the, the field doing that. And he said, I sat in my house terrified, oh no, and he opened the door, he ran out in the field and said, stop! And he said, he said, the reason why I said no to my son, the reason why I told him to stop is not because I'm some cosmic killjoy or I didn't want my son to have fun, it's because I knew that cow patties are just plain disgusting. And there's germs in there. And, you know, he, that's not good for him. And, and here's what Paul is saying. He says, say no to the flesh, say yes to, to love and service. Why? Because ultimately, flesh is destru- destructive. You will not only lose your freedom, but you will destroy yourself your loved ones, and your community. Be careful lest you bite, if you bite and devour one another, lest you consume one another. My wife and I had another moment like this last night. We were with our kids down at Maxfield Park, and my little son was up on those rock walls, you know, the rock walls that surround the park. And those, those walls are about 10 feet up. And my son was on top running around that thing. And at one point, my wife, she, she said, you need to get down. And she grabbed my son, and she picked him off, and he was screaming and yell, yelling and wailing. But why did she do that? She did that because the top of that wall is not a, a, a safe place for my son. And indulging in the fle- flesh is not a safe place for you. It's not a safe place for us. It's because the flesh is not your natural habitat. You were not meant to live outside the limits of who God's designed you to be, and he's designed you to be a person who lives in self-giving love and service to others. And so here's the question this morning that I want you to wrestle with. How are you using your freedom? You are free. Your freedom is real. You don't have to earn your salvation or deserve it. You don't have to work to gain acceptance with God. You are absolutely free, but how are you using your freedom? You've got that flesh there, and it's going to yearn and look for opportunities to gain your attention. But do not use your, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And as you serve your spouses, and as, as we serve our community, And as you live for others, Paul says, this is the paradox. You will live a life of absolute freedom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this little passage that that gives us the nature of Christian freedom. We are free from justification through law. But God, that doesn't mean that we are free from from living uh, the life that we were designed for. We should not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And God, uh, those of us here this morning, some of us have found ourselves trapped in that spiral, a spiral of selfishness, of self-indulgence. And Father, we pray that you would uh, pull us out of that. And God, we, we thank you for the freedom that we have, God, that we do have forgiveness when we failed. 
But God, we pray that you would give us the power, the power that comes through the resurrection to live the life that you've made us for. God, we pray that we would serve our spouses, serve our kids, serve our communities, Lord, that we would say no to self. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.